Hello and welcome back to the Ebby Online podcast. This week I had the pleasure to speak with Piers Cross, a podcast host, an ex-boarder and a coach for those who are suffering from the effects of attending boarding school. During this episode, Piers helps to break down and explain the effects of British boarding schools on adolescents. We also discuss British politicians as an overwhelming amount were public school educated. And we speak about whether this has had an effect on how the country has been run over the past decade, as it seems like many of our politicians are out of touch and lack empathy with those suffering from poverty in the UK due to things like the cost of living crisis. Both of my parents attended boarding school and met at one. I wanted to speak to my mum about her experience attending both British and international boarding schools while growing up in the 70s. My mother's experience is different to Piers's experience and I thought it might be good to include it. My mum says her experience was overall a positive one. She says boarding school made her more independent and resilient. She told me that she never was homesick, but she would look forward to going home and going back to my grandmother's house as the food at boarding school was awful and she always lost a lot of weight. Due to being quite sporty and playing things such as lacrosse and hockey as well as running all the time. I wanted to know if she experienced any racism as a black girl growing up and attending predominantly white boarding schools in England. She told me that she would never allow anyone to bully her and always stood her ground, which is very much like her. And I guess that's where I I get that from myself, from her. She spoke of one of her teachers who was racist and tried to encourage other pupils to do the same, but she always rose above it. My mother kept her big green trunk with her name on it for many years and I remember seeing it throughout my childhood. She also considered sending me and my older sister to a boarding school and I remember viewing them as a child and my mum explained to me on the phone last week that she refused to send us there because when she tried to to get more information about one of the boarding schools, they literally couldn't tell her anything about that school. And being a single mum, she decided to have live in au pairs instead so my childhood was very different I guess compared to those that did go to to boarding schools. Anyways let's get back to today's guest as it was a genuine pleasure to speak with Piers this week. He gave an interesting and vulnerable insight into his life and experience with his time at boarding school in England. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy. But right let's get into it. Let me start by introducing you and asking you how you got into this line of work. I know some of your story, but many of my listeners that are new to this topic may not. Mm. So how did I get into this work? Great question and lovely to meet you. So I think partly my own um, breakdown. So in my 20s, I worked in the city in the corporate world in uh, in London, in the financial sector. And on the surface, I was a success, lived just outside of Hampstead Heath. I, my, my girlfriend was a top banker. I was working for some of the top Fortune 500 companies and I started to struggle mentally. And I, within probably a few months, my father had got terminal cancer, had left my partner, I'd left my job and I was essentially homeless. And so I got into this work in answer to your question through my own struggles is I tried to take my own life. 
got into drink, drugs. And it was only in 2002, I ended up in a Buddhist monastery and I, I went for 10 days because I was really mentally unwell. But I ended up staying for over a thousand days, so about three and a half years. And it was totally transformational. And, and in the first couple of months I was there, I, I met a, a therapist and she said to me, you need to read this book called The Making of Them, which is by Nick Duffel, and it's about boarding school syndrome, boarding school survivors. And when I read it, it was suddenly like a, an aha, aha moment in heaven. I just realized the reason I'd been struggling so much was my boarding school. And as I went back and, and looked on the surface, I'd been a success. I was good at sports. I was a captain of athletics. I was in a band. I was a drum major. I was reasonably popular. But it, there'd been a lot of sexual abuse. I was sexually abused. And one of my friends committed suicide while I was there. And I'd squashed it down. I hadn't felt it. I hadn't dealt with it. And as I started to process it during my time in the monastery, I started to cry again. I hadn't cried or connected to my emotions for you know, about 15 years, even when my father died. And so that's how I've got into this work is it's through my own struggle that I had to come through a real dark period of a few years where I cried every day. Uh, and it was like, how do I heal this? And so I shared my story of boarding school on YouTube one about 10 years ago, and people started to email me. Can I work with you? Can you help me? And that's how I, I've started doing this work with um, ex-boarders. And what is boarding school syndrome? Can you kind of, I don't want to say summarise it because there's so much to <laughs> to say and mm -hmm. to put into it, but from your, your own knowledge, how would you describe it? Because it is, it's, it can be like disputed by some, but it is, like a psychological thing and it is acknowledged by academics and psychologists mm, yeah so if i read you this from joy chavrin's book boarding school syndrome she says boarding school syndrome is not a medical category however it is proposed that there is an identifiable cluster of learned behaviors and emotional states that may follow growing up in a boarding school these men and women as children learn, had to adapt to an inflexible system and learn to hide their emotions. So really it is, it's like, like I mentioned before we started recording this idea of um, people will say to me who work with me, oh, I loved my boarding school experience. And I say, well, do you have these symptoms, this identifiable cluster of learned behaviors and emotional states? And they are things like workaholism, they are often depression, their addictions, inability to relax. They are a real struggle with emotions. Relationships are a challenge for many of us. And other things like inauthenticity, it's like we wear a mask, we can't really truly be ourselves. So these coalesce and, you know, this is called, you know, boarding school syndrome. How does leaving home and being sent to such institutions, sometimes from the ages of seven or eight, affect children's character and personality development? I know some who were sent off at an older age don't claim to have any struggles. Yeah, so for me, I think 
there's no form of child development, child psychology that recommends separating children away from their parents. Uh, you know, attachment theory, which was um, first founded by John Bowlby, you know, and he talked about this importance. If you look at animals and they're young, if you look at, if you go into the hills uh, in spring, you've got the lambs, there's always that bond and that connection until they're adults. And it's the same with humans that we are, we, we need to have that connection to our parents. So when we don't get that, and that's what happens is boarding school is the attachment is broken. But I think what also happens at boarding schools is that you not only lose your parents, you lose your, um, your pets, you lose your safe place, the food that you love, you lose your friends, you lose your toys. So it's like a breaking of attachment with everything. And as Joy Chavron said when I interviewed her, the, the author of Boarding School Syndrome, she says that we can't put into words what's happened. It's like, you know, people say, oh, I chose to go to boarding school or I wanted to go. But we don't understand that it's not just going off to get an education, but you're losing everything. It's a huge bereavement. And if we talk about the ABCD, a boarding school syndrome versus abandonment, it feels like we've been abandoned. The B is bereavement. You know, we talk about homesickness in these schools. I had homesickness, went to the teacher and he says, oh, you'll get over it. And then I went back later on and I'm still upset. I want to go home. It's like, no, you'll get over it. That's bereavement. And then the C, please. Oh, no, I didn't speak. I think it was just the connection issue. Carry on. <laughs> oh, okay. And, and then the C is captivity. Be captive. A lot of these schools are in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, when I was 11, 12 year old, people would run away, but they would always be caught and they would always be brought back. You know, and, and why I've been reading lots of biographies and autobiographies recently. And you realize that Tony Blair, he ran away age 14. Not only did he run away from boarding school, but he tried to leave the, his, the, the country. He went to Newcastle Airport. He got on a plane. It was only when the air hostess said, where's your ticket? He says, oh, I'm running away. What type of, you know, what was happening in the school for him to do that? Yeah. So that's the C. And then the D is dissociation. Some people say to me, boarding school creates resilience. I disagree. I feel it creates dissociation, which is a symptom of trauma. We dissociate because, well, we, we, we're not allowed to feel these emotions. And that kind of sticks with you for the rest of your life, that kind of way to regulate your emotions and the way that it's been. I don't want to, I can't even say ingrained in you. I'm trying to find the right word, but you just kind of get used to not yeah. expressing your emotions and holding things in it's you just your mind is kind of programmed in that way and it's kind of hard to break out of that the way that your brain has been wired i guess it is you know nick duffel says he, he, he who wrote the making of them he says that you know we have a the main problem with boarding school the main symptom of boarding school syndrome is a problem with emotion he says it's not only a survival tactic but also actively encouraged by the traditions of the school. So when I got there, 
you know i remember first three weeks i really enjoyed it i was fit i was strong i was quite confident but then after three weeks i realized my mother didn't turn up for a leave day and it was like oh i think i'm ready to go home i realized what else i was missing and i became depressed i became started to grieve and one day in the dormitory i started to cry and it was an open dormitory a lot of these schools are there's very little privacy and the word got round the dormitory that Piers was crying and I changed my name within a couple of weeks to Simon because I thought that Piers I would get bullied so I changed it to Simon and then that became Ziggy a nickname and soon 30 boys were in my cubicle around me shouting laughing at me going ah you know, Simon Cross is not so cool now. He's not so, you know, they're all laughing at me and I'm just sat there crying. And I said to myself that I will never, ever show my emotions in front of anyone ever again. And so I did. And the way I did it was I, you know, built up this inner critic that whenever I could feel some anger or some tears, then I would go, you little piece of shit get a fucking hold of it you know i'd be really really vicious with myself and yeah and that's how i i learned to suppress and so many of the people i've worked with over the years i've spoken to have done a similar thing that's it's obviously a horrible story thank you for being like brave and sharing it it's very vulnerable of you i must say Speaking of that and the people you work with, can you explain attachment styles and what ones you've seen show up in your personal work when working with those who have been affected by their time as boarders? Yeah, thank you. Great question. So essentially, there's four different types of attachment. We've got secure attachment and insecure attachment is split into three. It's avoidant, it's ambivalent, and it's, um, we call it disorganized as well. Now, my work with ex-boarders, most of them are avoidant. So, and a securely attached person, and these are the words of uh, Dr. Diane Poole-Heller, she says, we typically grew up with plenty of love from consistently responsive caregivers, and as adults, we are interdependent and connect with others in healthy, mutually beneficial ways. That's secure attachment. So we've got the love, but if you notice consistently responsive caregivers in a boarding school, you don't see your parents for nine months of the year. Yeah, so that means you might have been secure before boarding school, but you have to become one of the others. You become insecure in your attachment. The attachment's been broken. Avoidant attachment, that is you keep intimacy at arm's length. You know, you might be very loving at the beginning you know i've had hundreds of messages from partners or wives of ex-boarders saying they blow hot and cold they seem really into me and then suddenly they won't return my calls that's avoidant attachment we can't allow people to get too close because of what it meant as a child so we learned to survive so i was very much avoidant and this is really what's you know been lauded in the British psyche for for many generations. Boys don't cry. It's not okay to show emotions. That's avoidant, uh, you know, an essence of avoidant attachment. It's like um, keeping people away. 
ambivalent is the flip side you're needy you you want love you um if you don't call me then i get really upset it's because we haven't had that love as children and we've learned you know when it's there we try and get you know as much as we can so that's ambivalent and then disorganized is a mix between the two now in my work i've seen avoidance generally about 80 percent 85 percent of exporters then you've got about 10 percent are ambivalent and then you've got about um, five percent which are the disorganized in nick duffel's work he calls there's a the strategic survival personality and he calls the final section the uh, the crushed they are people who were bullied at school and in my year there was always one on each year at school you always had one who was the crushed who would be the bullied and often they would be the disorganized or ambivalent attachment and oh this is a bit off topic but have you with your work I don't know, have you stayed in contact with the person that was bullied? Do you know what their life, life is like now? Or is it kind of just brushed under the rug? I mean, some who are bullied have committed suicide that I know from my school. Uh, you know, uh, others, I've, I don't know, actually. I've not managed to keep in touch with those from my own school time. You know, I'll give you an example. There was one boy who was ambivalent. He was quite needy and he was the year below me. And people used to put knives into his teddy bear. Uh, they used to punch him and he would, you know, be very strong in his exclamation of, oh, and shout. And in the, the, the dining room, we had a dining room where all 800 of us would eat at the same time. There'd be one boy sat opposite him and they, they, he would kick him constantly. And so this boy would often go, ow, and shout out. At the beginning, the girls came up, the older girls, and they kind of really tried to, to nurture him. But within a few weeks of this happening, the whole school at one point, he went, ow, and they all, as a unit unified voice went shut up and they said his name and you know eventually he left the school and he went to another boarding school but from what i heard the bullying was a hundred times worth at that boarding school and he came back to ours oh, that's horrible mm, mm, mm. yeah yeah and i was talking to someone yesterday who was in his 20s and he was telling similar stories of what happened to him about 10 years ago at boarding school. I don't want to say it's surprising that it's still happening, but I, I do know that obviously boarding school systems have changed from when my parents went to school, like in the 70s, and when authors that you're speaking about, like Nick Duffel, who went, I think in, he, when, I think he went in the 1950s. I heard him say he went to boarding school, I think it was in Switzerland, and then he came to one in the UK. Um, I thought that there might be differences now because you obviously you did have day borders back then you've still got day borders now but you've got different types of of boarding and more pastoral how would you say it? pastoral care is that the word yeah pastoral care pastoral I care think, yeah i think you're right evan i think there is they, they've improved 
so much since the um the children's act came in in 1994 i mean it's changed huge amounts i mean david cameron in his book he says that he lost a stone in weight uh, in a single term while he was this is in his biography for the record my mum was saying that because <laughs> the food was so bad <laughs> yeah and, and i think this is a real key point that the nspcc says neglect is an ongoing failure to meet a child's basic needs and the most common form of child abuse not giving children food that is neglect and therefore it is the most common form of child abuse David Cameron lost a stone in weight. And when I read that, I was like, oh, that's, you know, if you're 11 stone, a stone is, is, is not bad. But he was seven or eight. That means he was the average weight of a seven or eight year old is three and a half to four stone. That means he lost a third to a quarter of his body weight. He would have been skin and bones. That's awful. And you realize that there are many stories like this. Uh, John Peel, Richard Branson. Uh, he went age seven, Richard Branson. Uh, first night, he vomited because he was really nervous being there. Matron came in, started shouting at him and got him as a seven-year-old to clean up his vomit. And he said because he was dyslexic, he was beaten until he bled every week. He eventually tried to commit suicide age 13. And it was only, he read, left a suicide note, it was only when the teachers and the pupils stopped him from jumping off the cliff. And we don't hear about these stories, but this is, you know, this is the story. This is the neglect here. I am going to listen to the, the podcast you have with the guy in his 20s, because I'm also in my 20s. And it would be interesting to hear, because obviously we're probably basically kind of the same generation, um, to hear what his experience has been like and, and what changes have been implemented and what changes haven't. So I will, mm. I will look out for that. Oh, well, um, he, I didn't. I was just speaking to him. Um, oh, it's it's not a podcast. It was just a conversation. It's a, Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's not a, a conversation. So I mean, in in asking how things have changed, I think now, you know, in my day there was no DBS check checks. Oh, that's um, horrible. Yeah, in my school there was, you know, as of the moment, I think six are in prison or have been in prison, with a further five who have spent time inside. So I think it's 11 teachers Jesus just Christ. from my school. And I know that there's up to, you know, probably up to 30 uh, by, by, by all accounts from the period of 1949 through to the, the, the 2000s. So I think there was no DBS checks. That's something which has really changed. I see that with boarding schools. The other is there is more pastoral care. You know, but one thing that hasn't changed is there's still no parents. Mm. We spoke at the beginning of touch. There's still no touch. A child needs to be touched, to be held in order for their brain to develop naturally. And research shows that being touched, hugged, decreases our heart rate. It increases our oxytocin levels. It, um, it's just good for our health. And in these institutions, yes, they are a lot better now. Um, but, you know, I spoke to a lady who had been in touch with a head teacher, a female head teacher, and she was saying that it was only in the last couple of years that she had managed to stop the boys upskirting the girls. 
so they were just God. going round with with cameras uh, and this is just in the last year or two it's illegal now thank god i think it became illegal i think it must have been 2018 i'm not sure or 2019 but it is illegal now but that is awful because i went to a school where we had to wear kilts you the girls weren't allowed to wear trousers and girls being girls, obviously the boys didn't do that to us, but we would rip up each other's skirts, but we also wore shorts under our skirts, like a pair of like micro shorts on top of our tights. And even now I find myself <laughs> looking to put a pair of shorts on with skirts because it was something that I did every single day. It was kind of like, I don't want to say a fashion statement for us, but just because we would do that playfully, but to have the boys do it, it would feel it would feel like, yeah, not very good. It would feel like I was, I'd feel violated in some way. So yeah, that's awful. But back to intimacy, what types of problems with intimacy and emotionally re relating do you see and what issues have you faced yourself? What issues do men come to you with that they have with women due to their early trauma at, at public school? You know, I think there's a confusion with sex, you know, especially if it's a single sex environment, you have this sexual energy, you're 12, 13, you're coming into puberty, you don't have any safety or, you know, any privacy. So for me, it wasn't till I was 16 that I had any door, not even on the toilets or the showers or the baths. So it was very difficult to be intimate. So often what happened is that there might be intimacy with another boy and that, or another, you know, if you're a girl with another girl, and that was very much frowned upon in my, uh, in my school. So I remember one time I was intimate with another boy, I was age 12 and he went and told someone else. And this guy came up to me and says, Oh, I've heard you've been with this other boy. And I knew that at my school, if you were considered gay, that was the worst. It was like death evil and so I just denied it and I squashed that sexuality down didn't mean I was necessarily gay but I was just exploring myself it's just it was a natural part of growing up so what happened is therefore I suppressed both the light you know attraction to other people it was all squashed down so it goes into shadow and what that means is it's like I don't want to look at it so I've often heard as we get older from ex-boarders is often they, they have affairs. They might have affairs with the same sex. They will be married, but they struggle in intimacy, struggle to be touched. Uh, I certainly in my 20s, I would almost be sick if someone touched me physically because of the sexual abuse I'd had at school. You know, so I think intimacy is something we struggle with and it's something we can learn again, you know, to become more embodied, get into our bodies, have massage, have the touch. Uh, there's lots of exercises we can do. But I think, yeah, I mean, does that answer your question? Evan? It does. So I guess that also impacts forming healthy relationships with either the same sex or the opposite sex when it comes to wanting romantic love. Because I guess everybody deep down, no matter who they are, they do want love. They want to, I don't want to say find your soulmate, because that might be a bit, I don't know, I, don't, I believe you have many soulmates, but you, you want to have 
romantic love. So I guess that kind of puts blocks on how far that can go when trying to relate to other people. I think so. I think I learned not to trust other men and didn't like men and I was a loner. So this thing of, again, the avoidant attachment, I don't need you. And in a relationship, well, it doesn't work very well, to be honest, if I try and keep you away. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it, it does. It does kind of hinder us. And through psychotherapy, through the coaching work I do, or through, through men's groups or female groups or Nick Duffel's boarding school survivors group, you know, we can heal. We can, you know, bring this this up to the surface and uh, uh, and heal this. You are but... a good example of that because I do know you're married yourself. Mm. So you've been mm. able to, to find someone and to live, you know, happily with someone that understands you, that is patient, and obviously you can relate to them and, and understand their own needs. So, you know... Mm, there is you. kind of I want to say light at the end of the tunnel because if you do the work and you do have these symptoms and I know it can be a lifelong thing where you have to continuously do the work you mm. can be happy I think so and I'm still a work in progress I, I think in my relationship it's I still have issues that I'm working through and I think one of our, our things is as an ex-border is we're perfectionist we try and get everything right and therefore, if it's not wonderful, you know, we really beat ourselves up. And Pete Walker in his book, um, Complex PTSD, he says it's one of the symptoms of a, you know, trauma is that we beat ourselves up. We have this virulent inner critic. So that's something I've really battled with. And I think if we are avoidant and we find someone who's securely attached, who's willing, we're willing to do the work with, we can move from this avoidant state into being securely attached. Diane Paul Heller, in her book, The Power of Attachment, talks about this, that this learning of building of trust, and that's what my wife's done with me. We've been together 16, 17 years. Interestingly, my, uh, my stepson has just come up from Cornwall today. He's, uh, he's downstairs and he's in his 30s. And, you know, she's been amazing my wife with me so patient when I've wanted to push her away or I've been really upset and she's just held me when I want needed to cry she's not kind of shamed me yeah and it's helped me to to develop into the, the man I am I wouldn't be doing this work the documentary you know the podcast without my wife's support she's been tremendous it's just so amazing so I feel very blessed uh, so yes I feel we can do it it takes work and Many, patience. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm just going to swivel into kind of the political side of things because many psychologists and authors such as Joy Shaverian have written books about the effects of boarding school and the impact it has on those who attend in their adult lives. How do you think this plays a part in how the leaders of our country conduct themselves? Almost all of our British Prime Ministers and many MPs attended such institutions. Have you seen the effects of the system play out in how they run our country? Because it's probably easier for you to recognise <laughs> than, yeah. than say like a person that went, well, we can recognise it because 
when you went to like a state run school, you you can see how out of touch this this cabinet is and how out of touch they've been for over a decade. But what's your kind of? Yeah, I mean, Rishi Sunak a few days ago. Um, laughing. Question. He was laughing. It's like that for me is his strategic survival personality, you know, to make light of matters. But it's so out of touch because he's so out of touch with himself. You know, Peter Levine, who's one of the leading uh, researchers into trauma, he's been doing this work since the 1960s. He said that in an insidious way, trauma contributes to the motives and drives of our behavior. What this means is the man who was hit as a child will feel compelled to hit as an adult. So what I see with people like David Cameron, Rishi Sunak, Tony Blair, Tony Blair was hit as a child. What did he do during his tenure? Oh, he started a war with Iraq. You know, there was uh, David Cameron. He was hit as a, a, a boy at boarding school. And, you know, we look at some of the, the, the things that they've done in their, um, their tenure uh, as leaders. So I think what Trauma is saying that, you know, when we don't look at something, it shows up in our lives and we call it fate. If I learn to hate the vulnerable, as I've shared, you hate that which is vulnerable. You'll, you know, if the person who was made to hate the vulnerable within himself as a child is going to hate the vulnerable as an adult. And that's what we're seeing, the cost of living crisis, in my opinion. Whether this is true, Nick Duffel in his book, The Wounded Leaders, talks about this. There's many others out there. Boris Johnson, there was sexual abuse going on at his school. His sister wrote an article in one of the, um, she was at the same school as Boris a couple of years below him. And she said she used to eat her own toothpaste because she was so hungry. My God. You know, so these are the things that if we do not look at them, they will then turn up in life and we'll go, Oh, it's fate. So what? how the unconscious works is that I've read David Cameron's book and he says, I went into politics because I really want to do good. But if you've learned on an unconscious, which runs the show, the belief that I have to take care of myself, I'd have to take care of my friends, and I have mm. to hate the vulnerable, it doesn't matter how much you want to do it consciously, the unconscious until you do your psychotherapy or your work is going to run the show. And that's what personally I see with the conservatives, you know, and if we spread that a little bit further, we see that um, Rupert Murdoch, I mean, I'll, I'll read you a quote from Richard Rupert Murdoch. Um, what did he say? He said, this was about his time at boarding school. I'd be teased and abused when I was sent to boarding school. And I think my own children went through some of that. Yeah. King Charles, Colditz, Gordonston, the school he went to, was Colditz in kilts. Age eight, he suffered from acute homesickness, clutching his teddy bear and weeping frequently in private. Mini driver, I, at age eight, and so I start boarding. It is a terrible mistake. It is in the top three worst mistakes I will ever make. And it just goes on and on and on. And these are all from people's biographies or... Uh, books so yeah because their actions you know and as terrible as they are and the impact they're having on the wider public and 
if not internationally and globally. Um, do you think because they're from, many of them are from such privileged backgrounds that their trauma and abandonment doesn't get taken into consideration when we're looking at certain hypothesis for why they behave like that? Because I'm always thinking, why is this person acting like that? I always think there's a why and a reason and I always want to get down to that and, and understanding why someone behaves how they do. And I think because they come from privilege, it's often not considered that they would have trauma. It's like you should be grateful for the education that you've had and for the upbringing that you've had because many people would kind of aspire to that, to be a part of that elite class system. Mm. Weirdly you're enough. exactly right, Evan. Yeah, you're right. We It's seen as privilege. You know, that it's not trauma, it was good for you. And what in my work, I'm trying to show and use case studies. It's like, no, actually, they're carrying trauma. I mean, there was a paper in 1994 which said that uh, about talking about neglect and says our evidence supports the hypothesis that the most severe psychological um, conditions arise from neglect or conflicts. So these people have been neglected. And these are the most severe psychological conflicts arise from what they've gone through. So, yes, we as a society say boarding school is the pinnacle of a great education. What Nick, Joy and so many others now are showing that actually it's not. And, you know, I'm surprised every single biography I read. No one says boarding schools are good. I mean, I've got a, a, a bookshelf up here. I've got. Uh, Bear Grylls, he says, um, when I hit boarding school, suddenly all I felt felt was fear. Fear forces you to look tough on the outside, but makes you weak on the inside. Prince Harry calls, says he felt like he was abandoned. Uh, Stephen Fry called boarding schools like prisons because he was in prison in, when he was 18. So this is what we need to start reframing that actually boarding schools are not at the moment fit for purpose that's my belief certainly anything below 16 you know children need their parents i guess the house of commons is kind of like an extension of public school in a way many of them know each other they all went to the same schools and it's kind of similar in my field of journalism why do you think certain careers are disproportionately overrun by ex-public school pupils I, interestingly, I spoke to uh, a journalist, and I think it was podcast 50, 56, possibly, um, who worked for Reuters. And he, and I think the reason is so many of these institutions, like the law, like law, army, you know, most of my family were military. They were high ranking naval officers and army officers. And I think, why does it, in, because, these institutions are very much like boarding school. You go to the House of Commons, you know, I look at the House of Commons, it looks just like my chapel. <laughs> just like my chapel, it looks just like, you know, that's what Nick Duffel says, it just, those public school boys and girls, they feel very comfortable in these, these institutions. Uh, they know the people there. And yeah, I think, you know, I've interviewed quite a few professors on my, my podcast and one 
says, you know, boarding schools are in most countries, but it's usually just one or two areas. It might be in uh, high society, or it might be people who are, are very wealthy will put children into boarding schools. But in, the, in Britain, it's across the board, legal, journalism, it's in the military, it's in uh, civil service, it's in politics. And I feel it's because they're very similar. Mm. The way the structures are set up, uh, you know, and, and when you look at who's actually in charge of these, you know, the BBC, ex-border, Channel 4, the head of Channel 4, ex-border, uh, Rupert Murdoch, ex-border, Piers Morgan, ex-border, Jeremy Clarkson, ex-border. You realise that, yeah, the people who are in these positions of power, the head of the Church of England, he went to Eton, the head of the army, he also was at uh, an ex-board you realize that oh wow if you want to get into a position of power you have to have been to one of these schools that's unfortunate do you think if we had a pm and more politicians from state schools the country wouldn't be in the dire mess that it's in now currently i think we've got to change the system we've got to change so many things i think it's possible uh, I think it's a, a complete rehauling. You know, at the moment, boarding school takes in, it counts for about 1% of the population, of which 50% nowadays come from abroad. So it's only 0.5 who come out of these schools uh, of the population. So that's 63% of high court judges went to boarding school but there's only 0.5% of the population. It's not representative of the population. So I think, yes, Evan, I believe that people who've been to comprehensive, people who actually know what it's like to, to not live a, a sheltered life, who actually has experienced growing up in a community. I think we need these types of people in positions of like PM, but also the head of Ch Channel 4, the head of BBC, we need these people who are, you know, yeah, who've experienced life in a different way, who haven't, you know. Because I, I just feel like Rishi and Boris, they're so out of touch. Like a couple of years ago, I did a lot of reporting on the cost of living crisis and it would just make me really upset and really angry that like an old lady couldn't, turn her heating on and I remember a story about a woman an old lady that would sit on buses all day using her her bus pass to stay warm and it's like the government are constantly saying we don't have money for these people that are suffering but then they have endless money for foreign wars and Rishi is just so out of touch because last week they're saying oh we need we need to create a citizen's army we need to get young more young men to join but they don't realize like that it's like they don't Maybe they do realise and they just don't care that, like, public opinion is Gen Z and most millennials, with how they've been treated by this government, do not want to go and fight a foreign war. Yeah. That They just don't have... It's like they're... Either they don't care or they know and they're just... Because oh, I've seen very, very few... I actually can't remember seeing someone saying I'm going to go to war for for this country if it happens when I've been like 
watching Vox Pops and, and researching researching the appeal for it. But yeah, it, it's just kind of like, Rishi just doesn't care. He's just trying to help his friends out with contracts and allowing everyone else to get richer while so many people suffer. And it just feels like a big lack of empathy. Mm, yeah. It's and just, I think we lose that empathy for ourselves at school. We start to hate ourselves, you know. I think, you know, we didn't talk about secure attachment, but if you were securely attached, you had really loving parents, which sounds like Rishi did. What you do is you then arrive in this institution and actually suddenly you go, if they're so loving and I don't like this place, that must mean there's something wrong with me. And so mm. deep down inside, we think somehow we're broken. That's the psychology, which is in scientific papers about attachment theory. And so, yeah, I think they are totally disconnected from themselves and therefore they're disconnected from the, you know, the outside as well. Is that kind of to do with, I can't blame my caregiver, my mum, my dad that say that they love me. So I'm going to blame myself. I don't know if I'm wording that properly and you can kind of understand where yeah. I'm coming from, but it's kind of like, yeah, like that. Yeah, because you've lost everything else. If you blame them, then what happens is that's the only that's the only security you have. So I can't remember the exact psychological phraseology of it, but essentially it's much better for us to think that there's something wrong with us than there's something wrong with my parents. Because they are like the god, the goddess, they are the you know, the giant in the story. They are the provider they are the all and everything in my life and if i see them as bad then my life falls apart whereas it's much better easier for us if we think i'm the bad person they're good so mm. yeah um you know and that's what nick duffel says in his work there must be something wrong with me as we kind of wrap up before i i ask you about you know your up and coming film which i know you've titled bordering boarding on insanity which i think is quite cool and you know and stuff like that in what ways let's end on a positive note but in what ways can say if someone was listening what ways could um could they you know overcome their suffering what methods would you recommend apart well i know psychotherapy therapy would be one of them but what methods have you seen help people that you've been working with? Thank you, great question. So I think one of the basic things is just self-care. Often, if we've been through trauma or boarding school, often we don't take very good care of ourselves. We drink, we don't necessarily sleep very well. So we begin there, get to bed early, eat well, exercise well, start to take care of yourself. And that affects our mental health. So that's where I'd begin. Like you said, psychotherapy, doing something like meditation, that's shown just how much that really helps us with happiness levels. I got into meditation while I was working in the city and it made such a difference, just making me a lot calmer. Um, other things, friends, you know, uh, connecting with groups of people. It might be you join a men's circle or a, a woman's circle where you can talk about these things. I run a, a men's circle for, you know, ex-boarders. It's like 
having a space that we can come together and, and share and talk and not feel like we're doing it all on our own, uh, which is often what we do. If we're avoiding attachment, we try and do everything on our own until we it gets too much and we, we break down. So that's what I would suggest is, you know, taking care of yourself physically, you know, doing psychotherapy um, and, and joining some form of group or, uh, you know, connecting with other people. I know you have a podcast called An Evolving Man and you're currently working on your film, Boarding on Insanity. When will the mm -hmm. film likely come out and what other projects can people expect from you next? And where can people find you, Piers? What are your links? Mm, thank you, Evan. So, yeah, the uh, podcast An Evolving Man, that I generally put a podcast up every two weeks. I'm at episode 87 now. Wow. Often about boarding school or it's about trauma or psychology. I had one today about net nature and reconnecting with nature around mental health. Uh, the film, Boarding on Insanity, we're hoping to get that out before the general election. We've so far interviewed Gabor Mate. We've got someone who's very well known in the public field who we're gonna interview in a month's time. So, you know, hopefully it will be some point this year other projects i've also written a book i've been looking for a publisher and i am hoping to get that published as well and yeah just keep doing this work i think that i'm very passionate i feel that we feel we're powerless and i actually want to let people know no you ha we have so much power we can change things and we are changing things and uh, that was one of the things Dr. Gabor Mate said to me is, is like, yeah, stop voting for these people. Start to, to, to kind of take the power back yourself. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. It's always really like, I don't want to say it's weird for me. It's weird in a good way. But when I've been listening to someone for like a couple of years and then you finally interview them, it's quite strange. Thank you for listening to the Ebby Online podcast. Please don't forget to give my podcast a rating and a follow.